from Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given, this, given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of, may f- of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Acts chapter 5. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. 
But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set, before the council, set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this understanding is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Thank you, Paul. You get extra credit for a long passage. But there's a lot of good stuff in that passage, isn't there? Um, some thrilling stuff we get to talk about today. You know, one of the documentaries that my wife and I watched in the, in the past couple of years is called The Last Dance. It's about the 98 Chicago Bulls. And it's fascinating. It's a fascinating documentary about all the different personalities, how this team came together. Um, and of course, we all know those 90s Bulls teams. They were Jordan's teams. These are Michael Jordan's teams. He was a star player. Everything hinged around him. And as you saw in the documentary, it was both awesome and awful to be part of Jordan's teams. It was awesome in the fact that you won a lot, six championships to be precise, right? You won all the time. But it was awful in that Jordan could be really, really hard 
on his teammates. He could drive them harder than any coach would ever drive them, right? So you got to participate in the winning, in the glory, in the fame, being part of Team Jordan, but you also got to participate in the sweat, in the agony, in the frustration. It was a both and. And today, in our text, we get to see what it was like for some of the first Christians as they joined Team Jesus. We see there was some incredible power they had, like unthinkable power that they had. And we see it came along with some really tough stuff, too. All of it was part and parcel of being on Team Jesus. And being on Team Jesus changes absolutely everything in your life, right? And we're in the midst of this series called Get Out. And what we're doing is we're looking at two narratives of God's people. The narrative in Exodus, God with his people Israel, getting them up out of the land of of Egypt. And we're looking at the narrative of God's people in Acts, the church, where he's, once again, constituting for himself a people there. And last week in Exodus, we looked at the signs of Moses. And so we saw God doing incredible, powerful miracles. And all those miracles were geared towards God's people, getting them up out of slavery, softening Pharaoh's heart so that they would be released and could be set free. But fast forward to the book of Acts this week. Jesus has died and risen again, of course. He's filled his followers with the power of the Holy Spirit. And now they're doing miracles again. But this time it's way different. This time there's a much different purpose. Now instead of God doing miracles to free his people from the hands of the wicked, he's doing miracles to save the wicked. That's what he's doing. Everything's flipped on its head now when you're on Team Jesus. So today we're going to look at these miraculous signs of the apostles and how they show us in vivid detail what it's like to be on Team Jesus, which all of us are if you are a Christian in here today. And there's four things I want to highlight in these two texts that Paul read for you. First of all, to be on Team Jesus means we share in his power. Super fun and cool. Uh, Secondly, to be on Team Jesus means we share in his good news. Thirdly, we share in his call to repentance. And finally, we share in his suffering. All right, so there we go. There's my outline. First of all, to be on Team Jesus means we share in his healing power. You know, when I was in high school, the new Spider-Man movies were just coming out. And no, core girls, I don't mean the ones with Tom Holland. These, these are the, the good Spider-Man movies. These are the ones with Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst. Like, these were, these were awesome. And I think they were actually better than the new Spider-Man movies because they were more complete. And that is, they had all the characters, like Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben's a priceless character. He's the father figure in Peter Parker's life. Is this great source of wisdom for Peter. And he says this famous thing to Peter right before he died. He says, with great power comes great responsibility. It was one of the last things that Ben said to Peter before he was murdered, and it became kind of a life motto for Peter. He understood that his power was not given to him for his own desires, but it was given to him for everybody else around him. Like, even his use of his powers and his gifts actually got him into a lot of suffering in his life, right? It got him beat up a lot of times. It got him into some some really bad scrapes. He even called his powers both a gift and a curse at times. And that's exactly what we see with the power of the apostles going on here in Acts. The apostles are given incredible power, unthinkable power, by the indwelling Holy Spirit. But the power is obviously not for them. 
And this is the big difference between our text this, or this week and the text we read last week in Exodus. Last week, all the signs and wonders God did, again, were for the people directly to soften Pharaoh's heart and to liberate them from Egypt. This week, on the other hand, in a wild turn of events, all the signs and wonders are being done through the apostles, but they're all directed at saving the wicked people, bringing the good news to them. It's like the apostles joined Team Jesus, and now they get his mission and they start mimicking his life. That's what's going on here. They have his spirit dwelling in them, so they have his power. But just as Jesus modeled so beautifully, the power isn't for them. It's for the whole world. I mean, here's something stunning to think about, right? I, I hadn't thought about this a ton until this week. But you realize Jesus Christ never once used his incredible power for selfish means. Never once. The most powerful human being who ever walked the earth. You know, if you watched The Chosen with us this last year, you realize Jesus' ministry was basically camping for three years. Yeah, he stayed at some places, but it was a lot of tenting. It was a lot of sleeping on the ground. It was very uncomfortable. Could he have made himself a sleep number mattress? You know, or a Juna sleep system if he wanted to? Of course he could. He could have hovered six inches above the ground. Just like, hey, what's the harm in, in using my power to make myself a little more comfortable? Never did it. Not once. He probably went lots of times without food or without good food. You don't think the creator of the universe could have whipped up some filet mignon? You know, ordered himself a little room service? Elijah did. He got the birds to bring him food. Jesus never once did that. Not once did he ever use his powers on himself. Always, always he used his power for others. And here we find the same is true of the apostles as they joined Team Jesus. And just look at all the miraculous healings in this passage, all, this, all the signs. First, we have the healing of the lame beggar, beggar, which is such a cool picture, isn't it? This man who had become a really sad fixture in the community. Like every time you go to the gate, you see him, and he's lame and he's begging. And all of a sudden, now he's jumping up praising God. I mean, when Stephen Hawking was still alive, every time you saw Stephen Hawking, he was in a wheelchair, right? Because he had this terrible, debilitating disease. What if all of a sudden you see him on the news jumping around and praising God? Wouldn't that be incredible? It'd be, it'd be unbelievable. That's what happened here. The man goes from being the most uh, sad fixture in the community to the most joyful. And then we read again in Acts 5, 15 through 16, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So get this. Peter, on a sunny day, if he got on top of a building or something, cast a long shadow, he could heal hundreds of people at one time. I just, it's hard to fathom this. I mean, th this kind of power must have been what Jesus was talking about in, in John 14, where he says, um, those Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and greater works. You don't even see Jesus healing people with his shadow. And that's what's going on here in Acts. So just as when Jesus was on earth, we see God through the apostles, through these signs and wonders, doing things to heal his broken world. He's making the sad things come untrue. And we have to admit, as we look at this, it's easy for us to get enamored with power, right? I mean, deep down, aren't we all little... We have a little golem in us, right? Lord of the Rings, just precious. You know, we're, we grab the ring of power whenever we can. And so it's important for us to admit as Christians 
whenever we're given power, it's never, ever, ever for ourselves. It's not for ourselves. It's for the good of the world, which might be a little disappointing to you, but it's important for you to understand that that's what it means to be on Team Jesus. Um, and this applies to literally every area of our, of our lives. Um, if you're given a gift of healing, that gift is not so you can start some international ministry and make money on it and make a big name for yourself. That gift is for the healing and the good of those around you. Right? I think that's why God can't give a lot of us those kinds of gifts because they would kill us, a lot of us. They'd go to our heads and make us super prideful. Uh, if you're given power in the form of financial power, that power is not so that you can spoil yourself. Sure, you can take care of your family, but that's not so you can spoil yourself and look down your nose on people who have less than you, who are in a lower social class. No, that power is given to you so that you can bless the community around you. If you're given political power, you got to realize, just like Uncle Ben says, to whom is trusted with, what's the, what's the quote? I'm forgetting Uncle Ben's quote. With great power comes great responsibility. You have to remember that. Even those people that are against you, even those people that oppose you, you have to, if you're given political power, you have to use that power for their good, not just to get through your agendas or what you want. If you're given power at your work, some of you are in management positions, your power is not given to you by God just to get you and your family ahead in life, just so you can climb the social ladder. Your power is always, always to be used for the flourishing of those around you. Once you're on Team Jesus, once you're included on his mission, power is never just for yourself. With great power comes great responsibility. That's the first thing it means to be on Team Jesus. But second, we see to be on Team Jesus means we share his good news. Did you notice, as Paul was reading these passages, that every miracle sets up an opportunity for the gospel to be preached? Isn't that cool? Now let's look at some of these declarations here for a moment. First, the healing of the lame beggar sets up Peter to declare this in Acts 3.13. And this is kind of a snarky declaration of the gospel. He's looking at the, at the religious leaders. He's saying, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. So he shares the gospel. It's kind of combative. And then in Acts 5.18, the apostles are put into jail after they do all kinds of miracles. And yet another miracle occurs when an angel busts them out of jail. And the jailers don't even know they got out. But notice, was this miracle done for them? Was it so that they could have their life back and go back to business as usual? No. He set them free and he said, here's what I want you to do. Go, to, go preach the gospel to the exact same people. Verse 20, go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people all the words of this life. So, of course, they go back and do that. They get caught teaching about Jesus again, as is predicted. And they're brought before the religious leaders again. And those miracles set up another opportunity to preach the gospel, even to the religious leaders who hate them and want them dead. So it says in verse 27, when they brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in his name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. I love that. Filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. So they're defiant again. He says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. So every time there's a miracle, there's an opportunity to proclaim the good news. To be on team Jesus means you share 
his good news. Wherever you go, you're always looking for opportunities to share it. And I got to tell you, I love the fact that physical miracles in these passages are accompanied by a declaration of the gospel um, because it shows how God cares for us really holistically. Like God isn't just, he's not a Gnostic God in that he just says, oh, who cares about the body? Let's just get the soul saved. So just, just preaching the good news is fine. Who cares about the body? No, God cares very much about our bodies. Right? He has good plans for our bodies. The, the good news of the gospel is not that God's going to whisk souls off to some bodiless eternity. No, he's going to redeem all of creation, and human beings are a wonderful part of that. So we're caught up in the midst of God's plan to redeem all things. But the gospel also doesn't just mean the healing of our bodies, right? Jesus, or God knows good and well that this lame beggar... <laughs> He's got bigger problems, honestly, than that his legs won't work, right? He needs his sins forgiven. He needs eternal life. He needs to be saved from death. Like, even if his legs are working, that's going to be a really big problem he faces very soon after, if it's 10 years or 50 years. So he needs healing from his deeper problem. And so the fact that healings lead to a proclamation of the gospel shows that God plans to redeem us entirely, body and soul. And I think this should really speak to the way that we seek to proclaim the gospel here at Life Church. Like we want to be preaching the gospel week in and week out, every week declaring the good news about Jesus, not just on Sunday morning, but in our circles of friends where we work, everywhere we go. But additionally, as a church, we also want to be praying for the sick, like we did with Olivia and others this morning. We want to be bringing financial aid to the poor. Why? Because God cares about all of it. He cares about all of it. And so we do all of those things together. To be part of Team Jesus means we share in his power, but we also share in declaring his good news. And that brings us to the third point. Being on Team Jesus means we share his call to repent. So after the gospel is preached, there's this moment typically, where there's this direct call to repentance and action. Look at chapter 3, verse 17 through 20. And now, brothers, Peter's saying this, I know you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come for the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. So Peter's saying, look, do something with this good news. Don't wait on this. Repent today and come to forgiveness and life in Jesus. Again, all this is set up by the miraculous signs and wonders, but this is where the apostles really start to get in trouble by calling people to repent. And you just have to be aware, friends, that this part of being on Team Jesus is rarely fun. I just haven't found it to be terribly fun. Calling people to repentance is hard every time. I mean, you've been called to repent sometimes. I have. It's not fun for the person on either end, to be honest. But this is part of what it means to be on Team Jesus. We see here it can get people pretty angry. It can make them hate you, even want to kill you. But it's part of the deal. Sure, being on Team Jesus means power. Sure, it means being included, being included in this wonderful good news of the gospel. All that is incredibly positive, but it also means sometimes a direct call for people to repent, which means to change your mind, to turn from their sin, and to come and seek forgiveness and restoration and life in Jesus and Jesus alone. And we have to admit, 
Our culture is pretty allergic to this, right? Sounds unpopular. It is. Nobody can tell us what to do in our American culture, right? Nobody can, nobody can say what we're doing is wrong or sinful. It's going to be unpopular every time you do it, but that's part of it. It won't make sense to some. It's part of the deal. And if that feels funny or awkward or risky to you, that's because it is. It is. It got the apostles into a whole bunch of trouble. And it could get you into a bunch of trouble. At the very least, in our culture, this could get you made fun of. It could get you, um, you know, it could block your, your advancement in your job or your career. It could get you ostracized in circles of friends and family. And at the worst, some places around the world, it get you beat up, get you imprisoned, get you killed. A lot like we see in this passage. You have to understand... All the apostles, nearly all the apostles, maybe with the exception of John, who was boiled and somehow survived, were martyred for their faith, died because they preached the good news and they called people to repent and people hated them for it, right? We have to realize that. We have to take the good with the, with the difficult. It's part of what it means to be on Team Jesus. So to be on Team Jesus means we share in his power, it means we share in his good news. It means we share in his call to repentance. And finally, fourthly, we share in his suffering. Being on team Jesus means we share in his suffering. And this is probably not the way we wanted to end, but this is how the passage ends, really. We share in his suffering. And it's actually a joyful thing in this passage, which is already like a chiropractic adjustment for us. Like, why are they rejoicing about this? I mean, what in the world? But to be on team Jesus means we are open to the opportunity of being included in the suffering. Look at the apostles here. No doubt these miraculous signs get them loved and adored by many, many people, and the text hints at that. But it also made people really upset. They got thrown in prison. They were beaten. They were hated. People were wanting to kill them. And yeah, at first glance, it might look like the Holy Spirit is rescuing them from the hands of the wicked because he busts them out of jail, right? So you're like, yes, Holy Spirit, awesome. You're going to protect them, right? But the Holy Spirit doesn't say, hey, I'm going to get you out of jail. Go home, lock the doors, don't let anybody see you. No, he says, go out into the temple, into the public square, and do exactly what you just got arrested for. It feels like a horrible game of hide-and-seek. You ever played a bad game of hide-and-seek with a kid who doesn't know how to play, and they like want to hide, and then you close your eyes and you count to 20, and there they're standing right there in the middle of the room, and you're like, buddy, you don't get this game. You've got to make this harder on me. You know, that's what it's feeling like. Like, seriously, this is exactly where we just found you and arrested you and put you in prison. And there they are again. So they're either some of the world's dumbest criminals or they're being faithful to Jesus. And that's what they're doing here. They're aware. They know that to be on team Jesus is to share in his suffering. And look, they're so aware of it, they even rejoice after they're beaten. Don't miss this. This is meant to smack us in the face this morning. Chapter 5, verse 40 through 42, says this, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. Just let that sink in. You ever been beaten as an adult? I mean, we beat on each other as kids and stuff. You know, if somebody breaks a rule in a football game or whatever. I've not been beaten as an adult. This is not like they give them one swat on the wrist and stuff. They were beaten and then released. I think if I got beaten one day for proclaiming the gospel, I'd come home and tell Jenny, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Like, I don't know. I, don't know. I just think I got to find a different job. I got beat today. But look what they do. 
Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And they go on doing the same thing, preaching and teaching in Jesus' name. You know, in many ways, this passage reminds me of two really brave Christian ladies, two of your great-grandmothers, um, Rachel Saint and Elizabeth Elliot. And we're going to watch a short video clip here about them. But um, Rachel Saint was the, the sister of Nate Saint, and Elizabeth was the wife of Jim Elliot. Both of these men, along with three of their best friends, were speared to death by Alcas in the jungles of Ecuador as they were trying to reach these, this unreached people group with the good news of Jesus. And so as this horrible tragedy, all five men were recently married. Some had um, newborn kids or kids on the way. It was a horrific tragedy, 1956. But guess what God had these brave women do? Little by little, he worked in their hearts. He put the Wadawni tribe, that same um, really violent tribe, back on their hearts. And he said, look, I want you to go back to that same tribe that just killed your loved ones and preach the gospel, and live with them, and tell them about Jesus. It's like the same people? I mean, doesn't this sound like insanity, doing the same thing, trying to get different results? But they went. They lived with them, and this time the gospel sank in, and the whole tribe was transformed. Let's watch this three-minute video clip, and then we'll close. was officially founded in Central Florida in 1996. The idea first came to life in the same place where five young missionaries were killed deep in the Amazon. God began writing this story almost 70 years ago when he called my dad, Nate Saint, along with Jim Elliott, Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, and Pete Fleming, all recently married and starting families, to take the gospel to unreached tribes in the Ecuadorian jungle. The Waurani were people characterized by violence. As the industries of the modern age clashed with the Stone Age peoples inhabiting the jungle, attacks on settlements were not uncommon. This violence was also common within the tribe who were formerly known to the local Quechuas as Aucas or savages. With a homicide rate of nearly 60%, many in the Waurani tribe did not live to even the age of 30. In late 1955, the five missionaries began regular flights over Waurani territory becoming the first Westerners to establish peaceful contact with this tribe. After months of exchanging gifts with the Waurani, all five missionaries, including my dad, were killed at the end of Waurani Spears. The event which occurred on that small beach in the rainforests of Ecuador has become one of the most widely known acts of martyrdom in the last century. Out of this apparent tragedy is coming a wonderful note of victory. To try to evaluate what these men have done in human terms is indeed difficult. To think of this martyrdom of five valiant men on a material basis is indeed absurd. It is on the high spiritual elevation of love of Christ and of his gospel more than the love of self. 
To most people, the death of my dad, my hero, would seem to be a tragic end to the story. But God was only just beginning to write a story that would display boldness, sacrifice, and gospel transformation. The sacrifice and efforts of these five men laid a foundation which allowed Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, and my Aunt Rachel to live with the tribe. Through their work, a number of the tribe began to walk God's trail, leaving behind their violent ways and celebrating their new life following Wangungi's trail. The tribe became family, and Minkai, one of the men who speared my dad, adopted me as one of his own. Years later, two of the other men whose spears killed my dad baptized me in the same river where he died. Only God could write this story of relentless love and redemption. Amen. After Aunt Rachel died... Do you see it here, friends? It's all there. Being on Team Jesus means we share in his power. What else could transform a violent community like this than his love, his Holy Spirit. We share in his call to, to preach the gospel, his call to um, repentance, and finally we share in his sufferings, just like they did. Because remember that Jesus also died as a young man on the mission field. Remember on the cross, he too was run through with a spear. And he did all of that. He died and rose again so that we could have eternal life. And now, when we trust in him, we join Team Jesus. We say yes to his mission of loving wicked people. And our lives take on a similar trajectory, much like these five missionaries. You know, some days it's glorious with miraculous signs and wonders and people's lives being transformed and there's just nothing better. And some days it's unpopular and even repugnant to the people we're talking to as we call them to repentance. And other days it's just downright miserable as we suffer at the hands of the wicked. But all of it is part of what it means to be on team Jesus. And again, the difference here in Acts is what God does with the wicked. In Exodus, he uses his signs to overpower them. And here in Acts, he uses his signs to overwhelm them with his love. That's what it means to be on Team Jesus. And whenever this work of being on Team Jesus gets old or tiresome for you, you need only remember that this was part of your story as well. That you were once an enemy of God. You were once part of that wicked crowd. And God sent someone to reach you. I love what it says in Romans 5 verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? You realize you and I were in that same category. And God reached out and he rescued us. And that's what fuels us now as we are part of Team Jesus, that we go to those who have not yet heard, who have not yet joined his mission. Maybe some of you here today have not said yes to being on Team Jesus. You've not maybe even heard the good news. Well, today, the good news for you is that Jesus has died and risen again to take you from being an enemy to a friend, um, to take you to being a son, a child of God. And that offer is here for you today. There will be people up here to pray with you. We would love to introduce you to that and to help you to follow his trail, just like Rachel and Elizabeth helped the Wadawni tribe do. 
for the rest of us, I'm really wrestling this week of, with this, just this idea of, have we misunderstood what it means to be a part of Team Jesus? Have we, you know, fallen in love with the parts of it that we love and excluded the parts that maybe are really difficult? And I don't like to think about suffering. Like I said, I, think, I don't think I would have the same response as the apostles did here. And maybe that just means we need the Holy Spirit to adjust us. So I'd like to give us a moment just to listen to the Holy Spirit and to ask, like, hey, have I really said yes to being on Team Jesus as the worship team comes to close us out? Um, let's take a minute and just ask him that. Is there a yes in my heart for whatever it means to be on Team Jesus? Or have I started to say, uh, I'll do this, but not that? I'll give you this part of my life, but no, you can't have that. It's amazing what God will do with people who have nothing but a yes in their heart for Jesus. That's what it means to be on Team Jesus. Amen? Let me pray for you, and then we'll give you a moment to just ask the Holy Spirit this question. So, Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this time. We thank you for this passage, for this, these scriptures, these examples that we read about. And we pray for a yes in our hearts, nothing but a yes in our hearts for Jesus. Jesus, you said yes to us. You held nothing back. Would you create in us the same? It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.